Our Father, we thank you for your gift of grace to us so that even while we are separated from one another in worship, yet we have a sense of corporate worship for we are all uniting ourselves around common songs and common scriptures and common prayers and a common bringing of the word. And would you use this time to bring glory to yourself, to exalt yourself, to make your name to be manifested to the nations, to give us delight in you, to shape us into the image of the one whom we love, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And so, Father, as we open this word, would you accomplish that in our hearts? We thank you, Father, for many who have been laboring on our behalf in order to Uh, enable us to worship in these days. And while our worship is different, it is still nonetheless worship and a giving of glory to you. And might you find favor in it. We pray as well this morning, our Father, for your kindness on Michael and Abby and thank you for how you have preserved them and protected them and given them and their families wisdom as they have anticipated in these final months uh, a wedding that is different than what they had planned six months and a year ago. And yet this is your sovereign planning and this is your sovereign timing. And so we entrust that part of it to you and we entrust them to you. While their marriage has become, has begun at an unusual time, marriage is not unusual. And the opportunities that they have before them are not unusual. They are typical. They are well understood. And would you give them grace for those things to which you have called them now as husband and wife? Might you give them joy in you? And as they find their great satisfaction in you, might they find satisfaction in one another. And might their home be a sounding declaration of your great grace and of your great glory. We commend them to you, Father, as they begin their life together. And now again, would you guide our time in your word, this this word before us, this verse before us, is a common verse to us, but might you use it in an uncommon way to bolster us and strengthen us these days. We pray in Christ's glorious name. Amen. In this world, there is temptation. In fact, as you look at biblical characters and what you might even call the heroes of our faith in the Scriptures, because every... Every hero, every character of Scripture is a man. We understand that every man that we revere and look up to was a tempted man and a tempted hero. Think about Adam and Noah and Lot and Abraham and Moses and Samson and all the other judges along with Samson and Saul and David and Solomon and all the other kings of the divided kingdom of Israel, the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah. 
Think about Judah and Jonah and Peter and Demas and Paul. All of these men were tempted men. They were men who, who spoke of temptation. Think even of, of the great shepherd of the sheep, the one whom we long to be like, our Savior Jesus Christ. He also was tempted and he taught us to beware of temptation and he taught us to pray about temptation. We ought to pray in this way, he said, do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil. And he warned the disciples on the night in which he was betrayed, keep watching and praying that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Jesus' half-brother James, who was martyred for the faith, instructed us about temptation and trials when he said, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. The Apostle Peter was particularly well acquainted with temptation and trials, and he exhorted his readers this way in his epistles, In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various troubles. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. And then he also promised in his second letter, the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the righteous under punishment for the day of judgment. The Apostle Paul also promised of temptation when he wrote, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. What all of these accounts remind us of is that in this world there is temptation. And those temptations are often related to our trials, our testings, our difficulties. And when we, when we suffer particular trials or when we are in particular difficulties, it seems that we are also tempted to respond to those trials and difficulties with, with sinful actions that are atypical from the temptations that we might ordinarily respond to and experience. And the question for us this morning is, what are we thinking about our temptation? If we're going to be victorious over temptation, we're going to need to change the way we think about temptation and think about God's provision for us in our temptation. And that is exactly what the passage before us this morning teaches and trains us to do. What we're going to find this morning in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, is that every trial and every temptation is endurable for the believer in Jesus Christ. Trials and temptations are typical. They are ordinary. They are common. They are expected. Uh, they are they are circumstances that every person, not just a believer, but every person on this earth will experience. But for the believer in Jesus Christ, they are endurable. Every trial and temptation is endurable 
for the believer in Jesus Christ. Followers of God have not always understood that truth. In fact, as the background to this verse, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul reminds us about the history of the nation of Israel and how they repeatedly fell and succumbed to their temptations and did not resist their temptations. They, they had a way out that had been made available to them and they did not access that way out. And they made a mess of their lives and destroyed oftentimes their relationship with God because they did not believe God. In spite of the reality of God's provision, Israel preferred the sins of the nations that surrounded them. Like us, they lived in a culture that was hostile to the faith in God, and they chose to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin rather than the enduring pleasures of God. The New Testament church of Corinth also struggled with those same kinds of desires. They also lived, as we do, in a sin-saturated society. And brothers and sisters, they, they liked it. They found ways to self-justify and accommodate their sins with their claim that they were also embracing Christ while engaging in their sins. And perhaps some of them, or perhaps many of them, were claiming that they, they just couldn't help it, that they were stuck in the temptation, and that there was no way out for them. Maybe you felt the same way. Maybe you have felt the influence of the world crushing in on you and pressing in on you and feeling overwhelmed by the world. Maybe feeling that you were too weak, that you didn't have the strength, that you didn't have the capacity to resist the temptation that was being poured out on you. Maybe it wasn't just so much that you have felt like you couldn't resist the particular temptation, but the temptation has come so many times that you are worn out and weak and discouraged at the fight against sin. You've tried and you have failed so many times that you just don't believe anymore that you can resist the temptation. Brothers and sisters, this verse is for you. Every trial, every temptation is endurable for the believer in Jesus Christ. There are four truths that we must cling to if we will live like Jesus Christ. And those four truths are revealed in this one verse for us. These are four principles that are wrapped around the essential truth that God is faithful And the statement that God is faithful is not just a theological truth, but it is one of the essentials of life that we must come to know and believe so that we can survive temptation and so that we can be faithful to God. For not only is He faithful, not only is He faithful to us, but He has also called us and provisioned for us to be faithful to Him in our obedience to Him in our fighting against sin and temptation. Every trial and temptation is endurable for the believer in Jesus Christ. Four truths about God's provision for us. The first is given to us at the beginning of this verse, and it is that temptation is common. Temptation is common. 
This verse, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, follows a recounting of, of Israel's history in which she repeatedly failed. And we see that in verses 6 through 10. And, and, and Paul says that all of those failings, of, of, of which he recounted just a few of their failings, he says in verse 11, those things happen to them as an example. And he means as an example to us. And they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. So in other words, they failed so that we might learn from them. We need to look to them and to their failure and to how they succumb to sin so that we might not succumb in the same way. He reminds us in verse 12 that we should not look at the the Israelites and think, well, we won't do what they did. Notice verse 12. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. That's a reminder from the Apostle Paul that because we're all men, because we all face temptation, because we are all still fleshly, we have both physical flesh and spiritual flesh, that there is still a propensity for all of us to fall into sin, to engage in sin, to succumb to temptation. Paul says, don't think that you can't fall into that. You you can. And And that might be a discouragement to us. And that's why he gives us verse 13. Verse 13 is a reminder of God's provision for us. And notice what he says at the beginning of this verse. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. No temptation has overtaken you. And that that word temptation is a word that can be translated in a couple of different ways. Sometimes it is translated as here as a temptation. That is a solicitation to sin that can come either externally or inwardly from our own flesh, from our own covetous desires. Or it can also mean a trial or a testing, a a pressure that is not an enticement to sin, but a weight, a burden, a tribulation, if you will. And that's exactly the way the brother of half-brother of Jesus uses it in James chapter 1, verse 2. And it can be used legitimately in both of those ways, a, a temptation, a solicitation to evil, and simply a trial and a burden without respect to sin. However, the word often came to mean something like and came to be used in the sense of being tested with an anticipation of failure so that so that the testing comes and that there is the anticipation that the one who receives the test will fall, will fail, and will go into sin. And so very often it refers to an enticement or a temptation to sin. And the question here in this verse is, is Paul referring to trials and testings, or is he referring to temptations that arise within us or solicitations for evil that come to us? It could could be either, But I think given that he has just talked about the failure of Israel and how Israel has gone into sin repeatedly in verses 6 through 10, and because in verse 14 he will sum it up and say, brothers, flee from evil. I think what the apostle intends us to understand here is not just trial, but 
but a solicitation to sin, a solicitation to evil. And the apostle would have us know that this is common, that this is typical. And isn't it interesting, though, that whichever way we take this word, whether it's trials or temptation, that often it is that while we are in trials, temptations come alongside that entice us in ways that we wouldn't ordinarily experience outside of that trial. So I do think the apostle is thinking here about temptations, but it is also true that in trials we are often particularly enticed to sin. And that's not Paul's emphasis, but but it is appropriate for us as we think about about an entire church body that is going through a common kind of testing right now that is uncommon in the kind of testing that it is in COVID-19. So all of us are experiencing a particular pressure and a particular weight, and that is bringing with it a variety of kinds of enticements to sin and evil that three months ago or six months ago most of us were not experiencing. And brothers and sisters, in a sense, this is a blessing to us because it is revealing to us our hearts. It is exposing to us what we are really like on the inside. Now, again, as I've already alluded to it, the apostle tells us that that the temptation, the enticement to sin that has overtaken you is common to man. It is typical. Literally, that word common might be translated something like it is humankind. In other words, facing temptation is part of what it means to be a human being. The apostle would have us know that because we are humans, this is something that is common to us and and we cannot escape it. But Paul doesn't mean for us to be discouraged by that. He means for us to be hopeful from that. For the nature of a trial or a temptation to be human suggests that it does not require superhuman ability to respond to it. It is a human temptation and it is a human response that can be pushed back against it to resist it and fight against it. The idea is something like this. Your test is only human, and as a human, there is a way to endure and persist through it. And the apostle is going to unfold what that way of responding to it is in the remainder part of this verse. Brothers and sisters, your your sin may feel overwhelming. Your sin and your enticement to sin may feel as though it has moved in and and taken up residence and is ordering the entire household of your life. And and isn't it that that isn't that the way that it often feels to us? Isn't that the typical way that it feels to us that when when we have a particular propensity to sin, we just feel like this is just overwhelming to me. Whatever the temptation you face is. And I don't know what that temptation is, but I do know that you have a temptation. You don't just have a temptation. If you are like me, if you are like the rest of humankind, you have many kinds of temptations you face. And I don't know what that particular one is for you, but I do know this. 
It is common. It is not unusual. It is, it is part of what it means to be alive. The, the general testings and temptations of life are not unusual. And even the particular circumstances and the particular temptations that you are facing in your life are not unusual. They're typical. This is what it means, again, to be alive. As Martin Luther said, there are three things that make a Christian. Prayer, meditation, and temptation. This is what it means to be a a human being. This is what it means to be a believer in Jesus Christ. Temptation is normal. One writer puts it this way. When you were born, you were married. You were married to a companion who will walk... Walk the road of life with you until the end. You will never awaken any morning or retire any night without this companion being right at your side. This companion will never leave you for reasons of non-support. You can never sue for separate maintenance. It is not possible to get a divorce. Whether you like it or not, you and this partner will be together until death do you part. Temptation. Your lifelong companion. Whatever your battle with sin is today, there is nothing unusual that is happening in your life. The apostle in this phrase is also addressing some who might say, I am in a circumstance that is different from anyone else and no one can identify with me and no one can help me. It's, it's like the three-year-old whose mother found him in the kitchen one day and he had crawled up on a chair to reach a particular jar on the counter and she walked in just to see him take a big bite of the cookie and when she asked him about it, he said, I just climbed up to smell them and my teeth got caught. Ah, indeed. I couldn't help it. It's something that, that is unusual to me. It is something that that I couldn't resist. It was something that is particularly overwhelming to me that no one else can understand. And isn't that the way our own culture works these days? Many sins now and many sinful desires are, are labeled to be sickness and illness indeed and disease. Something happens beyond our control. It's not, it's not our fault. It's like the guy who said, I just caught a bad case of kleptomania. Both the three-year-old cookie thief and the kleptomaniac suggest that there is uniqueness to their temptation that does not belong to them. They're in unique circumstances. It's not their fault. There is nothing that can help them. My brothers and sisters, there is nothing unique in those situations. Our problem is not our circumstances. Our problem is not that something new and unusual has happened to us. In us personally or in us in our culture, Solomon was right. There is nothing new that is under the sun. It's it's all always been here. Our lives are made up of the same kinds of temptations that men have always faced. Do you remember, remember the book of Genesis? Remember the book of Beginnings? The first book that accounts the first part of the creation of mankind and, and the first the first years of men's lives. And and as you read through the book of Genesis, it looks like some things that were faced in that book were typical only of those people in those days. The kinds of sins that they committed were particular to them. But 
But friends, let's, let's think about their sins with some broader categories. How about pride and blame shifting and depression and anger and murder and greed and covetousness and worry and anxiety and unbelief of God and drunkenness and lying and deceitfulness and manipulation and self-justification and family feuds and favoritism and sexual sin like adultery, fornication, incest and polygamy. I don't think the sins in Genesis were so particularly unusual, do you? They were very typical. And brothers, our sins are typical. They are common as well. The temptations that are coming to us are not unique. COVID-19 has not brought anything unique. All of our enticements to sin these days, whether they're COVID-19 related or not, are all very typical. They are very common. It is not unusual. Our problem is not that we are in an unusual situation. Our problem is that while we are saved, we are still in our fleshly bodies and we are still enticed with sin. We still have fleshly inclinations. We still have fleshly desires. We tend to think that what we are experiencing is different, unusual, that we're engaging in something that is beyond our ability to control. And friends, when we say that, we're also saying it is beyond God's ability to help us with. And friends, that is, a, that is a perverse form of pride that would say my sin is so great, even God in heaven cannot overcome it in me and through me. That my sin has overwhelmed me and God is insufficient and inadequate for it. Friends, that is, that is perverse pride. Friends, your situation, your circumstance is typical. It is common. If we are facing a temptation, it is a temptation that has been seen before. It is a temptation that God has provided for. It is a temptation that God is adequate for. The temptation we face is common. That that has a ring of both good news and bad news to it, doesn't it? But there's even more good news that is attached to this truth, and that is the good news that God is faithful. God is faithful. Notice verse 13, No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Notice the next two words. And God. And God. This this is another one of those but God kind of statements. In other words, there's there's a difficult scenario, there's a trial, there's a burden, there's a difficulty that mankind experiences, that we experience, and then God interjects Himself and places Himself into that circumstance to our benefit and and addresses our pitiful condition and our pitiful circumstance. And we find these throughout the Scriptures, even even in the very first book of the Scriptures, Genesis chapter 8, we find this. Noah's in a boat. All of mankind has died because of the perversity of man's sin. And it says in 724 of Genesis, the water prevailed upon the earth 150 days, but God, but God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark, and God caused a wind to pass over the earth, and the water subsided. 
Friends, what if there was no but God in Genesis chapter 8? If there was no but God, then God wouldn't have remembered, then God wouldn't have brought the wind, then, then the waters wouldn't have receded, then Noah would have died, and that at that point humanity would have ceased to exist. And God would have been alone in the universe again. But God did remember. God did act. God did interject himself into the life of Noah and into the history of mankind. And this is just such another statement. We are, we are faced with temptations. They are overwhelming to us. They are common, but they are still feel overwhelming to us. And God interjects himself into our lives. God does intervene. God does take notice. God cares. God does have a plan for His children. When we are weak, God interjects and proves Himself strong. One writer says this, At no single point in the history of Israel do the Israelites as a people appear strong or powerful, but God delights in helping the weak And he delights in choosing those who have no ability to save themselves. Friends, in the commonness of our temptation, God does not run run away. God does not hide. God does not seclude himself. God does not ignore our problems. God does not ignore our situation. But he addresses it with great power, with great authority. And notice how he addresses it here. Verse 13, And God is faithful. And God is faithful means just that. He is faithful. He is constant. He is always what He is. He is unchanging and He is undeviating. And that means because He is always what He is, He does not improve. He does not regress. He always stays infinitely what He infinitely is. That means, brothers and sisters, that He is trustworthy. When the Apostle says God is faithful, He is calling us to trust His faithfulness. He will do what is good and gracious for the believer. In your temptation, you can trust Him to provide for you exactly what you need. A verse that I have thought of often in these weeks particularly is Psalm 119.68. God is good and does good. He is good in His nature and everything He does is good. Friends, He will in His faithfulness because He cannot change from what He is. He cannot regress in being good. He will always do good to you. He must do good to you. He cannot do nothing but do good for you. He never seeks your harm. He never works to your destruction. He will, he will discipline you when that is necessary. But even in that discipline, He is faithful to Himself and He is faithful to do what is good for you. God is faithful. This is one of the great promises of Scripture. We find promises of God's faithfulness throughout the Word of God. Let me, let me just account for you about a dozen different things to which God is faithful. God is faithful to keep His covenant with Israel. God is faithful in His choosing of His nation. God is faithful to His election and salvation of His New Testament people. God is faithful to helping His people through difficulty. God is faithful to Himself. 
as Christ, God is faithful in his position as high priest and intercessor on our behalf. As, as God in Christ is, is God, he is faithful to God the Father. He is, he is faithful to all of his promises. He is faithful to his creation and doing what is right. He is faithful to rescue the godly from temptation. He is faithful to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the sake of judgment. He is faithful to forgive us our sins when we confess them. Brothers and sisters, he is faithful. Listen to what Tozer says in his helpful book, Knowledge of the Holy. Only as he is faithful... Will his covenant stand and his promises be honored? Only as we have complete assurance that he is faithful, may we live in peace and look forward with assurance to that life to come. The tempted, the anxious, the fearful, the discouraged may all find new hope and good cheer in the knowledge that our heavenly father is faithful. He will ever be true to his pledged word. The hard-pressed sons of the covenant may be sure that he will never remove his loving kindness from them nor suffer his faithfulness to fail. Friends, he is faithful. In the midst of your trial, in the midst of your temptation, in the midst of the thing that is pressing in on you, that is enticing you towards sin, God is faithful to you to see you through that so that you do not fall. And that is where the apostle next turns. God is not only reminding us that temptation is common. He is not only reminding us that God is faithful, but he's also reminding us that no temptation is beyond a believer's ability to withstand. There is no temptation. There is no temptation. There is no temptation that is beyond your ability as a believer to withstand. You know, one of, one of the most misused phrases in our culture is something like this. You, you can do anything you want to do. You can be anything you want to be. I hate to burst your bubble, but no, you can't. A two-year-old can't balance a checkbook, though the two-year-old probably can program your DVR, which you can't do. I can't do physics. I can't run as fast or as long as I used to. I can't play the piano. I can't even read notes in order to play the piano. Others of us can't cook, build a website, or back a car with a trailer. Never mind build a nuclear plant or fly an airplane or perform neurosurgery. Friends, we all have limitations. We cannot be anything we want to be. We cannot do anything we want to do. And most of us think about temptation in the same way. I, I, I can't. You don't know how long I've suffered with this. You don't know how long I've attempted to resist. You don't know how long I've pushed against this. I can't. I can't stop lying. I can't stop drinking. I can't stop being vulgar and angry. I can't stop fornicating or lusting. I can't stop worrying. It is beyond my capacity to stop. Friends, none of those statements are true if someone is in Jesus Christ. In Jesus Christ... We have provision to be able not to sin. We are not consigned to sin. Yes, we have still a flesh. Yes, we still have a propensity to sin. But friends, we do not have an innate and a master who innately designs us and pushes us and compels us to sin in everything. We can stop. And, and that's been a big message of the book of Romans as we've made our way through that, hasn't it? We, we don't have to sin. What is it that, the, that God has given us? 
to be able to stand against sin, notice the promise that He has given us is that He has not given permission for us to be tested beyond our ability. Notice middle of verse 13, God is faithful and His faithfulness is demonstrated in this way. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. He will not allow. That's a phrase that means God must give permission in order for us to be tempted. And He will never entice us or permit us to be enticed by that which will overwhelm us, that which we cannot withstand. Says one commentator, God reduces the tempting power so that it does not exceed our power to resist. God sets fixed bounds on the temptation. It does not go above your ability. God God reigns in the temptation so that whatever temptation comes into your life as a believer has a fixed boundary that is superseded by the boundary of the life that you have in Jesus Christ. You know, we, we, we see that in multiple places in the Scriptures. We're, we're reminded of the story of Job, right? So Job was given permission, or excuse me, Satan was was given permission to entice Job not to worship God. But, but Satan was always under the authority of God and he could, he could never push Job beyond what God allowed him to do. Everything that, that Satan did to Job was the overflow of God's giving him permission in that area and he could never act apart from giving him permission. And in fact, remember, Job's life was spared, and Job's life was spared not by, not by Satan. Satan didn't preserve his life out of the goodness of Satan's heart. Satan, Satan was not allowed to take Job's life, and so Job's life persevered. Friends, that's also true of us. That Satan, if we are in Christ, cannot take away our life. The life that we have in Christ supersedes the temptation, the power, the authority that Satan might have in us. He cannot tempt us beyond what we are able to resist. He cannot take away our life. Satan seeks others to devour. First Peter chapter 5 verse 8. But he cannot consume anyone in the way that he wants, apart from the permission of God. Satan must always have permission, and God will never grant permission beyond what he has enabled you to withstand. When we are tempted, we might not use the way out, but that does not mean that God has failed or that his way is inadequate. When we fail, the the failure is due to our own desires and our own longing, not because God has tempted us and not because God has put us in a situation that supersedes or goes beyond the power of Christ to protect us and keep us. Whenever we are in a moment of temptation, we are never over our heads. God will never put us in a circumstance where we must fail. In every circumstance and in every temptation of our lives, God always designs them so that we can succeed. And and just remember the verse. Remember, God is faithful. To what is God faithful? He is faithful to never putting you in a circumstance 
where you must fail, where you must sin. Think about the things that typically are an enticement to you. What things tempt you? What things are your struggle? What things are your burdens? Some of you are carrying lifelong battles with sin. Some of you are carrying recent battles with sin. Some of you are carrying persistent battles with sin. Some of you are carrying new battles with sin. Where are you being enticed? Do you have those things in your mind? The Lord has not put you in that situation for you to fail. The Lord has not put you in that circumstance that that circumstance has caught him unaware and Christ is inadequate for that situation. Friend, Christ is fully adequate for you in every temptation you're facing today. And the apostle will remind us of that even in the final phrase of this verse. Every temptation has a way of escape. Notice the end of the verse. But with the temptation, let us also remind ourselves of what he is telling us. God is faithful. But with the temptation, God is faithful to provide the way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. The word escape means that there's a way out. Like an army that is trapped and and suddenly finds a way over the mountain through a pass that they had not seen previously, God gives us a way out of every temptation, every enticement to sin. In fact, we we have an excellent illustration of this this reality in this very passage. Look look up at verse 1. For I do, knew, do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from a spiritual rock which followed them and the rock was Christ. Five times in those four verses, the apostle uses the word all to to remind the readers of the provision that God had made for Israel. All Israel was under the leadership and direction and provision of the cloud, not of Moses, but of the cloud that is God himself. All Israel passed safely through the Red Sea. All Israel was identified with Moses and with the covenant that was made with Moses and the promises that came through that covenant to Moses and to the nation of Israel. And all were provided the same nourishment and the same provision. They were given manna, they were given water, and far beyond that they were given spiritual provision. And all of them, every single Israelite, had same access to the same spiritual provision. Oh, friends, God is faithful and He will provide a way out of your temptation and your enticement to sin. The nation of Israel had it. And brothers and sisters, we have that same provision as well. Now the apostle doesn't explicitly tell us what the provision is that God that God makes for us. He simply says there is a way of escape. 
So the way of escape will vary in different circumstances. This circumstance gets this way of escape. This person in that situation gets that way of escape. But the apostle is simply saying that whatever your circumstance, whatever your situation, there's a, a way out so that you do not have to succumb to the temptation that is enticing you. Says Jay Adams in his really helpful little pamphlet, Christ in Your Problems, Every box has its way out. Every problem has a solution. Every trial will come to an end for God's children. Every temptation has an escape route. What are those escape routes? Well, Paul infers a number of things. In verses 6 to 10, we might say that the escape may be to learn the lessons of the past, the, the, the way out of sin, the way... Uh, the way away from sin might be simply to remember, wait a minute, Israel and others have tried this and that didn't work. I don't want to go that direction. The, the way of escape may be in verse 14, simply to run. Verse 14, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Run from sin. Do not engage in sin. Do not pursue sin. Do not delight in sin. Run from that sin. It might be at the end of this chapter, verse 31, the escape may be in learning to live for God's glory, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Whatever you do, whatever you eat, wherever you go, whatever you are engaged in, make sure that you're pursuing all things to the glory of God. The way of escape also may simply be in endurance. That's verse 13. He will provide a way of escape also so that you will be able to endure it. And, and I think what the apostle actually is doing here is he is saying that the way of escape is through endurance. That our way of escape is in persisting in being faithful to God. Our way of escape out of sin is to engage in faithfulness to God, to trust Him, to obey Him even when it is hard. And, and brothers and sisters... Because perseverance is often the key to escaping from sin and escaping from the enticement to sin, we need a solid ministry of encouragement, don't we? Because, because it's, it's easy to grow weary in doing what is good. And that's why the apostle says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we urge you brothers, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Oh, brothers and sisters, we need to come alongside brothers and sisters who are struggling, who are weary, who are weak. And we, and we need to put our arms around and say to them, there is help in Christ. Let me walk with you so that you don't persist in your sin. The way of escape simply may be in endurance. Notice one more thing. For the unbeliever, there is no escape. For the person who is not in Jesus Christ, nothing that I said today applies. Brother and sister, friend, if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, you're not my brother, you're not my sister, and you do not have access to the things that we have spoken of this morning, not only do you not have access to them, not only is there no escape route for you, you are consigned to stay in your sin. That is the only thing you can do. You can do nothing to please God. You can do nothing to exalt God. You can do nothing to honor God. 
you are consigned to a life of sin, friend, there's nothing you can do except sin. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, therefore, I call you, I compel you, I urge you this morning, would you trust Him? Would you believe in Him for your salvation? Would you tell Him, I am a miserable sinner, I can do only sin, and I want to stop I, I need the penalty of my sin removed from me and I need the power of sin removed from me. I want to do things that are righteous and good. Would you help me? Would you save me from this sin that is controlling my life? Oh, friend, if you appeal to God in that way, trusting that Jesus Christ alone is adequate to pay the penalty of your sin, that Jesus Christ alone is adequate to remove the power of your sin, He will pay that penalty. He will provide the power you need to walk in obedience to Him. Well, let's wrap up this passage. When we are tempted with sin, we are also tempted to think in a particular way. We're tempted to think that our temptation is unique. We're tempted to think that our situation is beyond God's care and beyond God's competence. We are tempted to think that our temptation is overwhelming. We're tempted to think that our temptation is permanent. There's no way out. We're stuck. We, we, we are consigned to this. We can't get out of this. This is our lot in life, we might be tempted to think. Friends, this verse teaches us to think in a very different way. When you are tempted to sin... And you will be tempted to sin. Perhaps you've been tempted to sin already today. If you haven't been tempted already, you likely will be before you put your head down tonight. It is in that moment that you must remember to think this way. Your temptation is not unique. Your temptation is within God's power. Your temptation is not more than you can handle. And your temptation has a pathway out of it. So which pattern of thoughts are controlling your mind this morning? Which way are you thinking? Brothers and sisters, our hope in every circumstance, in every trial, in every temptation to sin is to recognize that there is a way out. Yes, in life there is temptation, but God cares. God's compassionate. God has provided what you need in order to get out of the temptation, to avoid the temptation, to be righteous before Him. Yes, in life there is temptation, but friends, God is still faithful. Our Father, we thank You this morning for the reminder that while we are being tempted and while we are being enticed and while we may even be struggling in profound ways with our sin, that you have given us everything we need. That we don't need to succumb to sin, that we don't need to give up in the battle, that we don't need to give in to temptation, that there is a way out. Sometimes the way out is through perseverance. Sometimes the way out is through remembering the consequences of our sins. Sometimes the way out is remembering the provision of Christ, but there is always a way out. Oh, thank you, Father. Not only that you have provided us a way out, but that you are faithful always in every circumstance to provide for us exactly what we need so that there is that way out. 
We pray these things in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.